Welcome into the 3430 Club podcast. I'm your host, John Thorpe, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Bobby Nemeth. Bobby, it's June 5th, um, 2022, and it still feels like it's March here in Seattle, doesn't it? <laughs> You're not lying. Um, I was cold. Like, I was cold today. I was thinking that. I was, I was getting gas, and I was standing outside, and I was thinking, it is June 5th, and I am cold. And I told Hana, I'm like, look, if we have a if we have a crap summer this year, we're just moving somewhere. I don't know where yet, but we got to move somewhere where there's some semblance of sun and warmth, because it's June what? and we need like we need a little bit a taste of summer. We haven't had a spring. Spring is is gone. Like summer comes in two weeks, and spring never came, so it skipped this year. Hopefully, summer shows up. Um, either way, I'm depressed and sad about it, John. Well, you're going to New York in a couple of weeks, and I hear it's hot there. Yes, so I'm excited for that. Maybe you should just stay and not come back, and then you'll have your summer. Yeah, the problem is I make uh, about $200,000 less than what I need to survive in that city. So maybe in a couple of years, but uh, unless I want to be living in the subway, um, I don't know if that's a good idea. Well, yeah, I mean... You could do that. There are people that have done that, but probably not a recipe for success. And you're probably not going to like be able to sustain the same cuisine that you usually like to have. The audio quality on the podcast probably wouldn't be great because you'd hear a bunch of noise in the background. Yeah, I'm not cetera, sure about the Wi-Fi situation down there. Yeah, I mean, at least you'd have a good microphone in the subway. The one thing, my sole golden possession sitting down there. I'm sure nobody would try to take it from me. Nobody, not to mention the laptop. Okay, um, let's talk about the NBA Finals. The Boston Celtics in Game One uh, had a huge comeback against the Golden State Warriors. This was on Thursday night. Uh, I turned on the game in the second half, and it was such a like the most hundred and eighty degree swing. I can remember in a basketball game where it was like the third quarter, I was pretty sure by the end of the third quarter, I was going to turn the game off because Steph Curry was just going bananas and, and the Warriors were making all their threes. I think they led by 18 at the end of the third, something like that. Um, and then the fourth quarter could not have been more opposite where uh, the the Celtics at one point were eight for nine from three, and they just cruised to end the game with a huge lead over the Warriors after being down 18. What did you think of that game? Uh, it was a game that was literally decided in like a six minute span, because even with about eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, um, Golden State had a three point lead and, it, you know, the lead was chipped away. And then, like, from nine minutes to six minutes, Boston made every three, and Golden State missed every shot, and all of a sudden, Boston is winning, and all of a sudden winning, and winning, and their lead is getting bigger and bigger, and all of a sudden, there's two minutes left to play, and they're winning by, like, 20. It was the most, like, extreme turnaround that I've seen in quite some time like you see when like we saw tonight you see when teams outplay each other in the entire quarter boston outplayed golden state in three minutes and that was it that's all they needed 
So they out and they end up outscoring Golden State at that fourth quarter by 25 points, which is it's just insanity. And it kind of goes into this trend that we've been seeing in the playoffs. But they did it like in three minutes. Uh, it was pretty crazy. Al Horford couldn't miss. Um, and it's just a big win for Boston because, you know, coming into that, I think I think Golden State's the favorite. They're definitely the most uh, experienced. And so for Boston to come in and take game one and kind of and take away that home court advantage, I think was huge for them. Yeah, and, you know, I think that everyone talks about the three-pointers that happened with Boston. Oh, they're so lucky. I, I have a friend who I was texting with who's a big Golden State fan, and he was, you know, of course, upset, saying, like, this would never happen. Like, this is a one one percent chance of like this type of a situation going on i think what people have to be careful not to forget and i'm not saying boston's you know gonna do this every game but they played really good defense down that stretch too like it yes they probably got pretty lucky with their shooting luck but the warriors couldn't do anything offensively they just looked completely out of sorts and they were pretty intimidated to drive to the rim. So they're just taking a bunch of bad shots. And those three-pointers were going in for Steph in the third, and they just weren't in the fourth. I think part of that was the defense and even Peyton Pritchard coming off the bench. Like, they left Peyton Pritchard in during a really critical point in the game, and he was holding his own out there on defense. So, you know, Boston's defense is for real. That's what they kind of built their reputation on this season and when the game mattered most, I thought they were pretty impressive after being just beat down in the third quarter. I think that's a good point, though. And what I've noticed watching Boston, I know a lot of their identity is through their defense, but their defense is kind of it's kind of streaky. It kind of comes it and is. goes. Yeah. And, like, and like you said, it showed up right in the most important moment of game one where Golden State couldn't do anything. They were locked down. They seemed um, frazzled. They seemed disjointed. And Boston... Boston's defense was the reason they're really on them, really shutting them down. But it's not like that for 48 minutes. Like it comes and goes. And I think that's really interesting for that team. It seems like I, I don't know why that is, if it's an effort thing or if it's a scheme thing or what our matchup. Um, but they go through these phases of a quarter or half a quarter where it's just locked down and the other team looks uh, completely confused and they can't get anything going. But again, it's only for a couple minutes. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah, and uh, then we should move on to game two, which was not the same story. Game started out close, 30-31 to 31 after the first quarter, and then 50-52 uh, to 52 at halftime with Golden State leading by just two. And then the, the third quarter must be Golden State's thing, man, because 35-14. to 14, Third, third quarter, um, so a plus 21-point differential for the Warriors, and that, that sealed the game. Like, very hard to come back from 21 in the NBA Finals. And it seems like, I mean, that one quarter won the game, essentially, for Golden State. But even so, when you look at Boston only scored 88 points tonight, and in this day and age, 88 points in four quarters is is really low so i you know while the third quarter 
clearly told the story of the game. It doesn't seem like, at least on Boston's side, that uh, their offense was clicking. I wasn't able to watch this game because I was I was busy being the home chef, but um, looking at statistics, it's really interesting. Boston and Golden State both shot, both shot 15 of 37 from three, which I think is really interesting. Same amount of shots, same make, same percentage. Um, the only difference is that Golden State, they got nine more field goals uh, from two. So uh, Golden State, again, proving that uh, they don't need to win from three. And I think a lot of other teams, including Boston, need that. I think that's why Boston's score is reflective of that, even though he shot 40% from three, um, which is still really good. So it seems like a lot of their offense is generated through that three-point line, and Golden State doesn't need to do that. Boston's three-point hero in game one had just two points today. Is that Al Horford? Uh, that's that's Al Horford. He had two points. Yeah, he's streaky too. Uh, and then Marcus Smart only had two points as well. So really, it was it was the Jason Ooh. Tatum show with a little bit of help from Jalen Brown and Derek White. But it's like, you know, if you're Al Horford or Marcus Smart, you got to score more than two points. Yeah, that's brutal. Yikes. So, but you know. Credit the Warriors for putting the clamps down in the second half. It wasn't like they, I mean, one for six from the field for Marcus Smart, it's not good. But, you know, between Horford and Smart, they only combined for 10 shots. So the offense wasn't running through them anyway. Right. But uh, anyway, does this change your, I forget what your prediction I, was. Did I predicted have... Golden State, and I still think that they're going to pull through and win it. In, I think in it, how many? I think, I can't remember what I predicted before, but. I think Boston stealing game one. I think this probably goes six games. Wow, you think that Golden State's going to take care of it quick? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's one one right now. I think. I think the next four games, Golden State wins three. So yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm. I'm still going to say Boston. I think I said Boston in seven. Um, I think the Warriors were going to come out with a, their heads on fire. Um, with the, in this game, because I think that they needed to show themselves that game one was a fluke, and I think game three will be pretty telling in Boston. You know, can Boston make enough adjustments to not have these ridiculous third quarters by the Warriors? Right. Yeah, because that's the thing about the Warriors is they can really go on a streak too. I mean, they're hit 35 40 points in a quarter and i mean a lot of nba teams can do that but i feel like the warriors are um, more prone to do that and i i just think they're more they're just a better they're a more well put together team overall well it's not just the warriors i mean it, it's mainly steph curry who just you know can go really streaky and hit five out of six three pointers in one quarter no, I agree. I agree. But, you know, Golden State also has like four or five other guys that really can score for them, too. Yeah. So while Steph Curry is going to do his thing, he's going to score 25 to 30 points and he's going to all of a sudden hit five threes in a row. You also have people around him that are going to be able to score. Yeah, I agree. I just, I just think they're deeper. I just think they're deeper. And ultimately, that's going to that's going to mean a lot more. We will see. I still. Still think Boston can, if they take Game Three at home, I'm feeling pretty good about them. That that shows 
that they can make the necessary adjustments. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe they come out strong and fired up being in Boston and all that hype being in the Garden um, and win game three. But even then, I, I still think Old State's got it. All right. We'll see what happens. Um, moving on over to baseball. This week, we had the first manager fired of the season. Exciting stuff. Drama, drama, drama. Um, always root for chaos in sports. That's my first rule. Um, and it's it was one of the earliest firings. I saw, you know, a tweet about when the last time a coach or a manager was fired this early in the season. And you have to go back to 2018. Um, and it was the forget I'm forgetting his name, but the manager of the Cardinals at the time um was fired in I have no idea. Uh, you know, it wasn't based off the date of the year, but it was based off like how many games into the season. Um, and how many games into the season are we, Bobby? Like 60 something. Wait, I can go off the Yankees. <laughs> the Yankees record, I think they're 39 and 15. So they're about 55 games in. Okay. Roughly. So I think it was. Uh, now I'm going to have to look this up. But, but this, regardless, this was one of the earliest firings. Um, even in recent history for the MLB. So Joe Girardi, former New York Yankee manager, tell us about your feelings of this. Well, I mean, we talked about it last week, right? We talked, we talked about, about how Philadelphia was They were struggling, and I, and I said that I don't think that Joe Girardi's that guy for them. I don't think, I don't think he's going to be able to put them over the top. And then within a week, they fired him. So clearly, I was onto something there. And after we talked about that, the rumor mill started going about how they didn't think that he was that guy. And then a couple of days later, he was gone. And when he was with the Yankees, he was with the Yankees for almost 10 years. And as one of our worst stretches, I mean, yes, we won the World Series in 09, but that was like, he came into an established core, and then we signed... CC Sabathia, Mark Teixeira, AJ Burnett on top of that. And then we won that year. But the previous year, his first year, we missed the playoffs. And that was the first time in like 15 years. So that was his first season. And we missed the playoffs, I think, four or five times in his tenure there. Uh, I don't even know why we held on to him as long as we did. And he never seemed to have the clubhouse in hand. He was always making like really scared moves and questionable calls with. He just was never confident. You didn't see confidence in him, and then you didn't see confidence in the team. And I was glad when we got rid of him. I know 2017 was a good year for us, but that had nothing to do with him. That had everything to do with our young core coming up and rallying. And so I'm very happy to have Aaron Boone and not have Joe Girardi. And I think the Phillies, if you're a Philly fan, you should be happy to not have him uh, anymore. And I will say that since they fired Joe Girardi, the Phillies have won four straight games. So. Could just be a correlation, could be coincidence, but it's not nothing. Yeah. Um, it's usually teams, I feel like, get that boost of like better vibes once a change has been made. And it, it tends to be fleeting, but, you know, that's the pessimist in me, I guess, saying that. Uh, I did look at the uh, that record for who had made it through, you know, the shortest amount in the season. And it was um, Mr. Mike Matheny with the St. Louis Cardinals in 2018. He was fired on 
uh, July 14th of 2018. So like basically a whole month later into the season than what we're at now. So yeah, Mike Matheny had been with the club for a number of years before that too. So it wasn't like that was, you know, two months into his, his tenure with the team, but I liked Mike Matheny too, but that Cardinals organization is strange with their, their choice as a manager last year that they had an overachieving Cardinals team that almost beat the Dodgers in the wild card. Look, they won like what, what did, what was their streak? They won like 20 games in a row or something last year. And then they fired yeah. their manager after <laughs> like it didn't make any sense. So anyways, I digress. I just gotta say Mike Matheny looks a lot like Patrick Dempsey. Look it up and tell me that he doesn't look like Patrick Dempsey. Patrick Dempsey is like half the size of Mike Matheny. Yeah, I, I, just the face. Just the face. Let's see what I mean. Hold up now. Okay. But anyway, um, so Joe Girardi is out in Philly. Next, we have uh, Bobby. The Yankees rotation is crushing it. Uh, unfortunately, they did not continue their streak today when the pitcher that I have on my fantasy baseball team was playing. But that's okay. What? Jordan it's Montgomery a had a good start. What are you talking about? A six and a third? Two, two earned? Yeah, two runs. Two runs. I mean, Bobby, yeah. the, the bar is high now. The bar is very high. Two runs. Tell us what happened the days leading up to that. So for those that don't know, and I'm sure you do if you're a baseball fan, a rotation is, is usually comprised of five pitchers, okay? So you pitch one, two, three, four, five, and then you go back to number one. So that's your rotation, okay? Five guys in the rotation, they cycle through the season. The last five starts, so all of our starters did in rotation, every single start from them was 70 innings pitched and one run or less given up. And in that time, we had... Two days in a row between Nestor Cortez and um, James Tyon, Jameson Tyon, they both took perfect game bids. Oh, and good Garrett Cole. I think there was three yeah. in a row. We had no hit bids into the sixth inning. Garrett Cole took it into the seventh inning. Jameson Tyon took it into the eighth inning. Now so, you see why I'm disappointed. It's so... Well, Jordan Montgomery was the pitcher to start that. He he only gave up one run in seven innings. That's he's the guy that started that. So I think it was actually eight innings. Um, and so five straight starts out of our starters, they all each went at least seven innings and gave up no more than one run with a couple no hit bids in there late into the game. So did you did could the Yankees hire a new pitching coach this year? Like what's going on? Pitching coach. There? We got a pitching coach in twenty twenty. So we got Matt Blake from the Indians. And for those that don't know, the Indians have historically had an absolutely incredible pitching staff and pitching development. And so we were able to snag him from Cleveland. And um, he came in 2020, COVID year, kind of washed. Last year, it seemed like a disappointment. But when you look at it, our starters actually had one of the, our starting rotation had one of the better ERAs in baseball. And this was with kind of like a, a Frankenstein rotation. And so this year, getting Seve back, Jameson Tyon finally being healthy, established in rotation, Montgomery being healthy, um, Garrett Cole finally, uh, you know, he's been kind of up and down, like he's still a stud. And then Nestor Cortez was a diamond in the rough that we found. All this, just everything's coming together at the right time. And uh, we somehow don't have the best ERA in baseball. Um, the Dodgers still own that crown, but 
Um, I couldn't ask for any more out of our rotation. And considering we had a bunch of injuries in our lineup, our offense has been hit or miss. But every day, our starters are going out throwing seven, eight innings and uh, keeping it to one or two runs. And so that's why we're, we've been so successful is because we always have a chance. Not letting uh, Roldis Chapman get his hands on the ball. Yeah, because he's quote-unquote injured right now. There's a little injury, quote-unquote, going on. Which is yeah. Uh, there's a there's a lot of those phantom, the there's a lot of those phantom injuries going on. Um, you know, Max Muncie is currently doing batting practice with the team, uh, and yet he's injured somehow. So, yeah, uh, I mean, you just need to give guys a break every once in a while. And this is not the first time Chapman has had a quote unquote injury when he's going through a rough spot. So. Fortunately, our bullpen has been deep enough. I will say that this year we are not weathering it as well. Our bullpen, since Loasaga and Chapman and Chad Green have all gone down, has been pretty rough. And outside of Clay Holmes, who's been the best reliever in baseball. What um, about Michael King? Michael, King, Michael King started incredible, and then he had a streak of like two or three games where he just kept giving up runs and he looked terrible. He's starting to get it back again. So I would say... Michael King and uh, Clay Holmes are, are pretty reliable in that back end, but everybody outside of that is kind of a question mark right now. I just like his name. That's why I, I mentioned Michael King. He is the king. All right. Uh, in other news, the Houston Astros signed Jordan Alvarez, their designated hitter slugger, to a six-year, $115 million contract. So if you average that out, it's about $19 million per year. And Bobby and I earlier in the week had a debate about this, of whether that was like grossly underpaid, like almost insulting that Jordan took that deal. So I ran the numbers on it. He averages about a 3.7 war, which is kind of um, wins above replacement. It's kind of a catch-all stat. And something I've heard is a a rough estimate for salary expectations is that you get seven million dollars for every one war that you have so seven times 3.6 3.7 is about 26 million dollars is kind of like fair market for your don alvarez if you buy into that assumption and so he is being underpaid if you spread it out you know average that contract over six years but i didn't think it was like an insulting amount um, because my argument was Jordan Alvarez doesn't do anything other than hit. Like they can't play him in the outfield. I don't yes, think. Yes, he... they can. And they do. Well, they can, but they, he's not a trustworthy outfield. I, I'd have to look at, I'm curious in the playoffs, how much he played outfield. I mean, I think it's like really narrow minded to say that he doesn't do more than hit when half of the players in baseball, all they do really is hit. And ultimately, like you get a fat contract based on your offensive statistics, not your defensive statistics or your base running statistics. It's almost all based on offense. So for a guy that is an elite offensive player, he's going to get a fat contract and he should. And I think the debate for me was to say it was a steal. It was a huge steal. But what we kind of 
came together, I, I think we both agree on, is that Jordan Alvarez, while he is an absolute stud, I think he's second in baseball right now in home runs. He hit 40-something last year, I believe. He's going to hit 40 home runs annually for a number of years. Could be a five, like if he stays healthy, I really believe he could be a 500 home run guy. But he's been injured. He's been an off injured. And I think for him, why he took this deal is because he's not sure if his health is going to stay. And so now he signs his extension. He guarantees at least a nine figure deal for himself. And then if he stays healthy and he keeps producing by the time that contract ends, He's still only going to be in his what little bit of like I don't how old is he John late twenties I think after this contract he is ends. twenty no he's just twenty four years old so he'll be about thirty right when this contract ends which is pretty normal for when most players enter free agency they're about thirty so he'll essentially be hitting that point again at the same age as most people and if he keeps healthy and he keeps his statistics then he can get that giant contract. But for now, he's just guaranteeing himself something in case he does get injured and he doesn't perform. So, and it's all back-ended. If you look at it, like, the next three years, which is would all have been um, arbitration years, or all, like, all of his salaries are kind of in line with what, like, he would make in arbitration, and then the last two years are, like, $26 million apiece. So... It's definitely yeah. like if he would have waited three years and stayed healthy, he would have got a much bigger contract. But this is kind of a safe bet for him. I agree. And, you know, I think just when you when you mention injuries, you look at him physically and he definitely has that profile of like somebody that, uh, you know, uh, let's just say he's a very big individual. He's <laughs> a large. He's heavy. a large. He's a big boy. Yeah, he's a large man. <laughs> uh, so. You always worry about guys that kind of look like him that, you know, dealing with injuries. Although David Ortiz, you know, hit for like 17 seasons or whatever it was. Um, and he managed to not get hurt, but they didn't play him anywhere other than DH. I mean, he would play first base every now and then if they were playing in like, you know, the World Series and whatnot. But that was like, you know, that was few and far between. But yes, he only. His only position was designated hitter, and he did that for a long time. And there's no reason to believe that Jordan Alvarez or anybody else couldn't do that either. Do you think that when the team is like doing sprinting drills and stuff, like he's just not he's not participating? He's just sitting out. Oh, and... for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he's he's on the fucking bench. You know what I mean? He's chewing yeah. a bubble gum, and you know, like he's not out there. No. Oh man, his poor teammates. Well, he hit like nearly 600 home runs for them. So I think, I, th- I feel like that's good enough. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's good enough value. If he right. hits a home run, hits 40 plus home runs for you every year, he can sit his ass on the bench and not, uh, not do his defensive drills out there at first base when he knows he's only going to play first base once every four years. Must be nice. I mean, that's almost as nice as being a backup quarterback in the NFL. That's the best position in sports. Is the backup quarterback back, in the NFL or backup hunter? No, backup kicker. Because you make you make, make so much money as a backup quarterback for you to sit on your ass 
with a headset on every now and then. Yeah. Anyway, that's, I'm that's still my dream in life. It, I'm, I can, I'll still get there. But to I'm be a backup quarterback, yet. that's what you want to do. Yeah. Yep. We'll be a late comer. <laughs> still got time. All in right. Twenties. Um, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, which I always thought was a stupid name. They should just be the Anaheim Angels, like they used to be. Um, they what, have what won. What the hell was that? <laughs> it was this pent up frustration and anger that just randomly <laughs> came out. Well, because I said their full name, and it made me think about why don't why are they called the Los Angeles Angels in Anaheim? That's they don't play in Los Angeles. You Connect to I mean? a bigger market. If you put Los Angeles there, I guess. I don't know. They were the Anaheim Angels, and then... There's a marketing thing behind it, I'm sure. Yeah. Anyway, they've lost 10 in a row. They have bigger problems than their name. Uh, Explain the skid by the team that was leading the division not long ago. Uh, Easy. They can't pitch, and they can't hit. That's it. They're losing games 8-1, to 9-1, 10-0. In the last 10 games. So they're not hitting, they're not scoring runs, and they suck at pitching. Noah Syndergaard is finally showing his cracks. Not doing great. Um, what's his name? Reed Detmers? Threw a no-no. Threw a no-no, and then he's just been okay. He's got like a 4-5 like ERA. It's not like he's been crushing it at all. Um, Shohei Otani is not... He's, re- like, he's got like a 3-8. He's not terrible, but we absolutely laid into him. Um, I feel like I feel like the magic he had last year as a pitcher is just not going to be there this year. His command is just not; it's not been there in most of his starts. So all of the rotation has been not good at all. They're giving up a ton of runs early, putting their team in a hole, and the team seems like they can't score. Taylor Ward's now on the IL. Mike Trout's been um, he's been struggling as of late. Anthony Rendon's back on the IL. So, yeah, no offense, no pitching. That's You don't win games like that. Yeah, it's hard to do. You mentioned that uh, Shohei Otani, you know, hasn't lived up to his billing as a pitcher, but at least before this win streak, he's still a pretty darn impressive hitter. Um, and I wonder if they... Oh, yeah, he's amazing. He just... I, I wonder, if the, is there any strategy to... Um, you know, they usually go with a six-man rotation, right? So could they say, you know, we'll sacrifice a little bit of his hitting and try to tighten up I mean, that rotation to, to get him pitching more frequently? I honestly think that he is more valuable as a pitcher than he is a hitter for them. I know he hit like 46 home runs last year. But his stuff is just so nasty, and I think a big reason why he doesn't have as much command is because he's going once every six days, and he's got to focus on hitting at the same time. He's not putting all of his energy into pitching. And I heard this um, this uh, kind of relation earlier this week, and I agree with it. Somebody, somebody had said if he dedicated his, his entire focus into pitching and didn't hit, he could be the American League Jacob DeGrom. And I kind of agree. I mean, when you really look at his stuff, it's it's filthy. But he just can't focus on it every day of the week because he's got a hit. But that's not going to happen. Yeah. They're going to keep him as a two-way player. That's what they signed him for. He won MVP as a two-way player last year. I get it. But I don't think he's going like, to reach his full potential and have longevity in his career if he stays a two-way player. I know that's kind of a cra- maybe a, <laughs> a crazy and pessimistic take, but 
um the game's so hard nowadays and you really gotta put a lot of time in to one or the other you really gotta hone in your craft and when you're splitting time between both of them you're just not going to reach your full potential why very few players do it you know him and bartolo cologne don't, don't even oh my god get out of here <laughs> uh zach ranky <laughs> madison bumgarner yeah I it's not a long list madison bumgarner oh my god the mad bum I forgot who I was talking to the other day, but the only player they knew in baseball was Mad Bum because he's absolutely out of his mind. Him and his dirt bike adventures. I bet him and Fernando Tatis would be good friends. I heard a story about him that in the offseason, because he didn't have anywhere to go, he would, um, he would throw bullpens with his wife. Did you hear this? His wife would get in full catcher gear and catch him. <laughs> Like on their farm in that's, Arkansas that's or whatever. That's terrifying. It's, yeah. But doesn't that sound so Madison Bumgarner? That's pretty funny. That reminds me, uh, just a quick piece of news. Uh, Max Scherzer got bit by his dog. <laughs> Did you see this, no. the statement that he put out? Yeah, so he put out a statement saying, uh, like, his dog was, like, really sick or something, or, like, was in pain. <laughs> and he... He like went down to pet the dog and like comfort it, you know, and the dog bit his finger and that's why he wasn't able, like he was scratched from his start or whatever. Um, and he had to like put a statement out saying like, I'm fine. Like I'm already doing long toss. Like you don't need to worry about me. I'm not going on the IL. I just got bit by my dog. Uh, just one of the funnier like headlines um, for an injury in baseball. Oh, and speaking of that, um, there was another player who I'm blanking on the name right now. He's, he's a well-known player who, what, oh, it was Francisco Lindor. He slammed his finger in a door this week. Ooh. And he's nice. on the IL now. Oh, no shit. Where is he? He had a home run yesterday, didn't he? Or he can't be on the yesterday? IL. Maybe he's DH. Okay. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure. I mean, obviously, I, I don't watch all the games, but I try to go through all the highlights. I, he had a, yeah, he played yesterday. He hit a home run. So. Okay, then I guess he's fine. But it was just well, he funny might, that he might be doing that Bryce Harper thing where he's just hitting. If his, you know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe he can't throw. Yeah. So he shut his his middle finger on a hotel door this week. <laughs> Baseball players are so fragile, John. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Uh, and then there was another player. This wasn't this year. Now we're going off a complete tangent. But there was one player who like got so mad playing video games that he injured himself. Ooh, I kind of remember, remember that story. I vaguely remember this. And I can relate to this too. So like, you know, it's a vibe. But yeah, the, the baseball vibe. injuries are, it's always a treat when you get the, my dog bit me. I slammed my finger in a door. Um, oh, man. You know, I, I punched a fire extinguisher <laughs> box. <laughs> yes. Yeah. When the, there's some funny things that injuries that have happened inside the dugout after a, a bad uh, bad call or a strikeout. Many it's players. actually a good reminder to me as like somebody also in their twenties, like the same age as all these players, of like these are things not to do. You know, <laughs> just pay attention well, to what they. You're do talking about don't Max Scherzer, what, like he got injured because he was just bunting for shits and gigs a couple mm -hmm. years ago and bunts the ball right into his eye socket and breaks his eye socket. Yeah, that's not great. 
I guess he can't control that. No, but he although probably, or you could just he, not. He probably should have been fun. out there bunting without a helmet on. Yeah. Anyway, big sidetrack on funny injuries. Sidetrack. Um, reeling it back in. Angels have been horrible, and I'm looking too. I re- I remember looking at the score earlier in in the day, and the Angels were winning five to nothing. I saw, and I thought, oh, good for the Angels. They're going to snap their losing streak. Now what? They did lose, and they they were up six to two in the eighth inning, and they gave up seven runs combined in the eighth and ninth to lose that game. So not only did they lose ten in a row, they lost it in horrible fashion. Well, honestly, it doesn't surprise me because I can't name a single reliever in that bullpen right oh, now. Well, like, well, I think I can name one. Raciel Iglesias has been, he was an all-star, I believe, last year, and they signed him. I, I don't know if they re-signed him. Or they, I think they re-signed him in the offseason. He's been an all-star closer for them, but he has a, let me look at this real quick. He's got a 491 ERA this year as their closer. That's not very good. He's 1-4 with a 491 ERA. That's okay. not going to do actually... it. I recognize a couple names, but there's definitely some names here I've never, ever heard of before. So they have Russell Iglesias. They have Archie Bradley, who used yep. to be a closer. They have Ryan Tapera, who's been very up and down in his career. He was, I believe, pretty good with the Blue Jays recently. Uh, and then a bunch of guys I don't know. And then Jaime Barea. Barea. Uh, what's his name? Aaron Loop? Yeah, I have no idea who that is. So they he have was an all-star people. last year for the Mets. He signed him in the offseason. Yeah. So they have four people I've heard of in their bullpen. Uh, not great. Oh, they also don't have a real catcher. Uh, we mean Kurt Suzuki. <laughs> the journeyman. <laughs> Kurt Suzuki, who's about to turn 40. I cannot uh, believe he's still in the league. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. And he... Up until recently, like he was getting starter jobs too. It wasn't backup. Uh, yeah, now. he always finds a way into the lineup. Because he was does. the starter for that 2019 Nationals team. No, you're right. Yeah, he was. That man, that team was just a hodgepodge of veterans. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Bobby, you have a bunch of teams to uh, that are on a rising tide. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, we're a third of the way in the season, so I feel like it's credible to start mentioning some of these things. You know, because before we know it, the season's going to be over. It's going to be in September. So you're going to start seeing now into June, especially this month, you're going to start seeing things even out a little bit. You're going to see people rise in the top, and you're going to see people flattening out a little bit, and you're going to know who your contenders are. Well, this is a pivotal time. Um and golf, you call this like Saturday moving day. So I feel like June is moving day for baseball. And these are the teams that are moving. Is the Blue Jays, the Guardians, the Rangers, the Braves, and surprisingly, John, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Who I, uh, I eliminated from the playoffs last you week. You did. You did. So they just got off a week, uh, last 10 games going 7-3, and three, and and sweeping Los Angeles Dodgers at Los Angeles. With so, Walker Bueller pitching. With Walker Bueller. Yeah, your, your husband out there with like a 3-8 ERA. Um, anyway, they still have 
No, actually, they've gotten a little bit better now. They only have the second worst run differential in Major League Baseball now, so that's an improvement. And they're still four games below 500, but again, they've been playing pretty hot their last 20 games, and they're close to 500 now. And um, you never know. I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think they're going to all of a sudden pull it out and become a playoff team, but I, I do think it's interesting and something to note. Right. Uh, you know, weird things happen. Sometimes AAA players just band together and get on a hot streak. Does that but mean the that other mean teams to call them AAA players? <laughs> I mean, they got some. They got some players that um, are How probably going to be named in their lineup. Uh, Brian Hayes. Yep. Um, what the what the hell is his first name? Vogel song, not Vogel song. Vogelbach. Daniel Vogelbach, yeah, ex-Mariner, yeah. thick as hell, doesn't have a neck. Um, Big Daniel beefy Vogelbach. baseball he is, boy. He's he's a chunky boy. He's a thick ass boy. Um, he weighs two hundred and seventy pounds. He could be an NFL lineman. Uh, what's his butt center fielder? Brian Reynolds. Brian Reynolds. I keep wanting to think Brian Roberts, but uh, that uh, is an old second baseman for the Orioles. Brian Roberts, and um, that's probably Reynolds. It. Oh, Brian Reynolds. See? There we go again. Um, can't even get his name right. That's that's the only three players I really know on that team. I think, um, what's his name? Josh Bader? Something Bader? He used to play for the Mariners on that team, too. We got the long, flowing hair. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, are you talking about Ben Gamble? Yeah, that's the guy. Ben Gamble. Yeah. Um, yeah they've got a bunch of like backups that have been backups their entire careers like jake marisnik uh famous uh astros cheater Houston astro yeah uh, he was on the mets michael, last year i think michael chavis who was a big time red sox prospect at one point uh yoshi tsutsugo yeah anyway it's uh, it's a fun group. They have one good pitcher. JT Brubaker is pretty good. And then it gets pretty bad after that. Uh, they so, also have a guy with a really fun first name, Rowanzi. That's Rowanzi. a new one. Yep. <laughs> the spark you know me. I like, my, I like my baseball names. So whenever I, I come across something I know you like do. that. Anyway, they're not going to win. The division, they're not going to win a wild card spot. But I think it is interesting that they're not the worst team in baseball. But I will say the Braves coming along obviously makes sense. They finally got over 500. We knew it was going to happen. I, when it, if you were a fan, you shouldn't have been freaking out. And I think we talked about on the worryometer, maybe or something now at some point, how it wasn't worried about the Braves. Um, they're finally coming along. The Rangers is interesting to me because I feel like everybody thought, including me, that they were a season away. And they had a terrible start this year. And you're like, okay, yeah, we expected this. But really, their last 30 games, they've been above 500 and playing really well. And Marcus Simeon just... is finally hitting home runs. I was going to say that. But do you think that they're just benefiting from playing in the AL West, which is a bunch of pile of garbage? I mean, even <laughs> if that is true, that you still play like 80 games against your division. So... If you're better than the rest of the teams in your division, you know, outside I know of, they're I'm saying outside of the Astros, benefiting. then they're going to benefit and they could make the playoffs that way. 
So maybe, I don't know what they're, I mean, they've been beaten up on the Mariners and the A's, but, but I always think that's such a silly argument when people are like, well, they've been playing this team and those teams. Like, well, if they're the better team, they should be winning. How can you give, you know, how can you be upset at a team for winning against another team? You know what I mean? I never understood yeah. that. I will say uh, they've lost four of their last five games. So the end of their week wasn't great. And there's still only, what, two games below 500? Something like that. I guess that speaks to the Mariners and the A's more. Um, Guardians have been kind of mid-level, but then they've been kind of, again, winning again. And the way the White Sox are playing... I, I'm i not going to, like, again, panic about them. I think every time we talk about them, we kind of like the Braves think it's, they're going to click at some point. But, you know, we're almost two months in the season, and it hasn't happened yet. So you got to think there's something systemic there. You know what I mean? It's not just, like, a bad week or a bad two weeks. We're, we're going on two months now. And they're well, they got their rid worst of worst record. They got rid of Cy Young pitcher Dallas Keuchel, so maybe that was what they needed to click I mean, into their new plugging year. that guy in. Every five days with like a seven seven ERA was not helping them, for sure. Yeah, he hasn't um, been good for a while. Blue Jays obviously like they started the season pretty good and they were kind of floating around a little bit. They got they lost a bunch of games in a row. They had a bad streak and they think they were hovering around five hundred. And then they're nine and one in their last ten games. Um, and their pitching seems to be coming along. Vladdy Junior starting to hit home runs again. So we knew that they're going to be a good team, and they're finally starting to to click and find it. And you know, hopefully, <laughs> yeah, hopefully us um, as the Yankees, we keep our seven hundred winning percentage because I think the Blue Jays are going to only start getting better and better and winning more. That's pretty crazy that Toronto. You said nine and one in their last ten, and they're still seven and a half games behind the Yankees. I mean, we we've won six that in a row too. Tells you how good the Yankees have been. Empowered by With your a- pitching, who would have thought? With uh, the second best run differential in the league, only behind the Dodgers. Yeah, well, nobody's nobody's catching up to the Dodgers. Not Except department. those Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs> um, what is? They're like the polar opposite of the Dodgers in run differential, and somehow swept them at home. Who knows? Like, yeah, but those things happen. These freak things happen. You know, it's 162 games and. Baseball is not a fair game sometimes, so that's why they play so many. Exactly. All right, so we're going to close out the show with a fun little segment uh, to do a mid-season check-in for our awards. Um, If you recall, before the season started, we all predicted our MVP, Rookie of the Year, and Cy Young in both the NL and the AL. And so I thought it'd be fun to mark the two-month anniversary of the season with our latest updates for those awards who we think should win them and i kind of viewed this i didn't talk to you about this ahead of time bobby but i kind of viewed this as like not only not just who's been you know mvp for the last two months but like who could actually sustain it through the end of the season sure no it's kind of like like a mix of looking in the rearview mirror but also predicting going ahead forward so that's why maybe there were a couple you disagreed with uh, because I believe in them more than the people that might edge them out in stats ever so slightly. 
through the first two months. Um, you know, there, there's been guys like uh, Seiya Suzuki, for instance, was not going to continue at the pace that he was to become Rookie of the Year. Yeah, but he dropped off quick. Later. Yeah, he dropped off quick. Um, so I know you have on our little agenda here, you have MVP first, but I feel like we should maybe move like Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, and then MVP. You know, I feel like the MVP is like okay. the, the big shebang. All right, we'll do that. Rookie of the Year. Um, so when I went to look at candidates for this, I went to a betting website. Um, those tend to give a good feel for like, you know, who's kind of the betting favorite. And it was funny because the AL had like this huge list of rookie of the year candidates um, that were all really good players. We think a lot of like, I'll just go through the list. Julio Rodriguez, Jeremy Pena, Bobby Witt, Joe Ryan, Adley Rutschman, Spencer Torkelson, Steve Kwan, uh, MJ Melendez. Like it just, it goes on and on. Yeah, Adley players that on have there. Been... The guy's been in the league for a week. <laughs> you know, some people think, uh, but like, pretty deep list of players we all like. Yeah. Or at least Bobby and I like. Yeah, absolutely. And then you go, you go to the NL, and it's like, it drops off fast. And, and a couple of these guys like aren't even in the majors right now. So they have Mackenzie Gore, Nolan Gorman, who just got called up like two weeks ago. Oh, Nolan Zaya Gorman. Suzuki, Alec Thomas, uh, Juan Yepes, O'Neal Cruz, who's not even in the majors. Uh, Ronzi Contreras. Speaking of the Pirates, earlier. sorry to interrupt. How have they not brought him up yet? Am I missing something? Is he struggling in AAA? I have not looked recently, um, but they should probably bring him up just for experience. Anyways, continue. But anyway, my point was the NL players are clearly like on another tier lower than most of those AL leaders for rookie of the year. Anyway, I digress. I have Julio Rodriguez, 269 batting average, 16 stolen bases, which leads the majors in stolen bases. He's been free to run, and he's actually not ran as much recently. It was really like the first five, six weeks of the season that he was just on this ridiculous pace. He has a 740 OPS, which isn't like fantastic, um, but it's improving. And the key thing to point out here is that so he has six home runs. He hit all of those home runs in the month of May. And in the month of May, he had a 309 batting average. So, I mean, he was not only like rookie of the year level in the month of May, but he was like one of the best hitters in the league in the month of May with a 309 batting average and six home runs. That's not a lot of players did that last month. Uh, it's only a month sample size. I understand that. He struck a lot out in April, but he kind of looks like he's starting to figure it out and i trust even though that al list is pretty talented in terms of like high high-end prospects like bobby witt and atley rushman spencer torkelson i mean those guys are either they either aren't in the majors right now or they just haven't been in the majors long enough and done enough so i'm gonna go with julio rodriguez for my al rookie of the year I think um, I think that's probably a safe bet. And I think you mentioning his statistics in May does say a lot because he struggled a lot in April. But, you know, he's a rookie. 
we had really condensed spring training. He's still finding his timing and finding his footing. And then when he finally got there, he has been absolutely slashing in May. And like you said, I mean, defensively and athletically, he's way up there. Um, and I think he's going to have a great season. But I, just for just for fun, I'm going to say that Jeremy Pena is going to win. Even though I think Julio Rodriguez is a safe bet, Jeremy Pena statistically is having a, a better season than Julio Rodriguez, collectively. Uh, Jeremy Pena is... Slashing 795 OPS, 273 batting average, eight home runs and 23 ribbies so far. So more home runs than um, Julio. And granted, like you said, Julio's hit all of those in the last month. But collectively, Jeremy Pena has been better offensively. And he is a shortstop too, so which is really more valuable to a team than an outfielder. So I'm just going to go with Jeremy Pena. He's looked good, and he's been really under the radar for the performance that he's had, um, at least on like the, the national spotlight. I feel like Julio's got more of a national spotlight, or maybe we're feeling that because we're in Seattle. But uh, I like both of them, but I'm just going to go Jeremy Pena for Rookie of the Year. Isn't it crazy how it didn't take the Astros any time at all to replace their shortstop? Bro, I'm telling you, he's just, but- he's just mini-me for Carlos Correa. He's like the same build, same style, same everything. They're just pumping like them the out. The day Carlos like Correa out. left, the day Carlos Correa left, they're like, "Oh yeah, we we're fine." And you got to imagine that's a, that's why they, you know, they offered him a, a non, like negotiable contract last year, an extension that was like it was never going to be accepted, and they knew that. They just like, well, we'll throw some money out there and for shits and gigs. And um, Correa obviously was like, absolutely not. And after that point, they knew they they just knew. They had a younger, better version of him. There you go. Um, NL Rookie of the Year. This one was hard to choose from. Like I said, there's just there's not a clear, like, really good player in the NL. Um, Seiya Suzuki was on a really awesome pace in April, and then he really, really has struggled in May. And I don't know if that's injury-related or if it's just that other pitchers caught up to him or both. Um, Probably a combination. Kind of kind of disappointing that like he was he was like the next that month of april was pretty incredible and slowed down quite a bit but i'm gonna go with Mackenzie gore who uh you likely you don't know who he is uh, he's not a super well-known player uh but he's a pitcher starting pitcher for the san diego padres he has a 1.5 era through 48 innings pitched and he has 57 strikeouts in that time he was the San Diego's Padres' uh, top pitching prospect for a long time, one of the top pitching prospects in the entire league, uh, and he was really supposed to be called up a couple of years ago, and I think, I'm not sure what his deal was, if, if there were like, I believe he got injured, and then I think he had some rough leagues in the minors, but it's taken him a long time to get to this point. He was drafted five years ago. Um, and that was out of college, I believe. So, you know, he he's a little bit older for a rookie, but he's finally starting to figure it out. And the Padres are making us, you know, shake our heads and say, yeah, I guess you were right. I guess he was the top prospect in the game uh, just based off his performance so far. Yeah, I mean, he's been kind of a part of a surprising rotation in San Diego that's uh, kept them to be one of the better teams in baseball. And Manny Machado um, literally carrying that offense by himself. 
Um, I've heard Mackenzie Gore's name up and down, but you're right. Like the NL side for rookies has been very sparse. And uh, just to spice things up again, even though he's only played 13 games, I'm going to go with Nolan Gorman because he's been great since being called up. Uh, you know, again, he's only had 44 at bats in 13 games, but um, he's got a 991 OPS and uh, 318 batting average, three home runs during his first 13 games. Um, and he was leading the minors, I believe, in home runs. So coming up, and he hasn't really seemed to miss a beat. And you got to imagine he's not going to continue this. Again, it's only been a handful of games, but uh, I think it'd be kind of fun. And since the the rookie slate in the NL is so weak, you know, I think he's got a chance. So let's just go with him, Nolan Gorman. I just I take offense to that because if, <laughs> what do you mean? if I hadn't told you, if I hadn't told you who he was, you would not have picked that. No, 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 no. Okay, hold up. You told me about him being called up, and then I paid attention to the Cardinals and him being in the highlight reel because I go through each game and seen the things that he's doing. Okay. So don't take full credit. I, I'll give you I some credit. I introduced you to Nolan. I Gorman. will give you some credit. Don't. I'm not going to give you full credit. Don't be upset I think about that it. The, I think that the Cardinals should get a first baseman named Nolan, and then they could have Nolan, Nolan, Nolan. Yeah, let's get rid of first, Paul second, Goldschmidt, third. one of the best hitters the last month, <laughs> just so we can get a guy I'm, named I'm Nolan. Not. I'm not saying that they should get rid of him. I love Paul Goldschmidt, by the way. Fantastic um, idea, John. I just like that they have two Nolans, and it's like, you should make it three. They could have the best or, Nolan duo in the game. Yeah, get a Nolan somewhere else, and then put them, you know, one, two, three in the lineup. And just do it for a game, just for my sake, please. You should pepper um, their Twitter handle until they do so. I'm sure they got some manager, somebody in their org named Nolan. Manager Marmol. I get a live Olivero. What's it? What's their manager's name? Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. It's like Olivero Marmol or something. It's somebody I had never heard of before. Uh, but anyway, let's move on to Cy Young. This is where it's going to get a little more heated. So, and where our own team biases are perhaps coming in, Bobby. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with Shane McClanahan. <laughs> For the yeah, AL. I mean, for both of who, us, could be an argument. Who leads leads the league in strikeouts with 89. He is fifth in whip with a whip below 1.0. He's 6-2. and two, And he is second in his K per nine rate. So how many strikeouts for every nine innings you pitch. Um, and again, keeping in mind that while his uh, ERA might not be leading the league, uh, I have faith that he's going to continue this pace through the rest of the season and I don't have quite as much faith in the other pitchers maybe around that same tier which is a great transition into your pick Bobby I mean everybody should know that it's it's going to be nasty nester out there we all know it he's leading the league and well yeah no I think he's leading now um leading the league in ERA He's got a better whip by quite a big margin over Shane McClanahan. He's only given up, I believe, four home runs this year. He's had a couple of no-hit bids, he, I think two or I three. I need to fact-check you. Fact, sorry, I have to interrupt you. Uh, you'll never guess who leads the league in earned run 
average, actually. Uh, what's his funny. name from Texas? Does he still have it? Yeah. Yep. Some Perez. Martin Perez. Martin Perez. Right. Who will? I think he. He will have not. A, no, he did. He had a he good start this continue. year. He had a good start today against the Mariners, so I think his yeah his ERA is going to stay. But yeah, I did know that actually. Anyway. Okay. I did know that. He Thank he's you, like the biggest fluke of the baseball season, but I take. Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. You never know. Every pitcher's got to come from somewhere. Um, anyway, Nestor Cortez, and again, we talk about reliability and um, being able to sustain it. Nestor Cortez had like a two six three ERA last year. It's not like he's come out of nowhere. So to think that he's just gonna blow up and this is all gonna go away is insane. The only thing that Shane McClanahan has over Nestor Cortez is that he's a strikeout machine. And that's great, but ultimately pitchers goes up there every day to not allow runs and not allow hits. And in both those categories, Nestor Cortez is better. So that's my Cy Young award winner right now who I think can sustain it. Hold on. Let's not pretend that Shane McClanahan came out of nowhere. Uh, he was also very good last year, Bobby. Uh, he's developed a track record for being I this type of I didn't say that he didn't, but the way you proposed it is that these other pitchers wouldn't be able to sustain it, okay? And I'm here to tell you that you're wrong. He had a 3.43 ERA through 25 starts last year. And while that might not seem elite, uh, ERAs have been much lower this year. So you have to go back in your time machine to last year in the summer when average ERA was higher than 3.4. You know, just he had 141 strikeouts in 123 innings. I'm going to stop right here. But I'm just saying Shane McClanahan is continuing off of his great rookie. Sean is just blinded by his fantasy baseball world and thinking that translates into the real world where he gets more points because he gets more strikeouts. But in Nestor Cortez real life, that doesn't matter. I like Nestor. Okay. He's just funky in like he's a very odd pitcher where he doesn't pitch very fast. Doesn't get a lot of like your typical like wipeout slider kind of swinging strikes. Uh, and so I, I, it makes me, it just makes me a little more nervous. Okay. Well, I've watched almost every one of the starts and I feel pretty confident in him. Okay. He's an unconventional pitcher. Would you agree? I think that's what makes him good. I think anybody would say that. Barry Zito. Barry Zito. Shane McClanahan is more like Barry Zito than Nestor Cortez is. I just meant I was that was the first pitcher that came to mind of like an unconventional pitcher. Um anyway. Anyway. We nationally naturally we're gonna disagree. But yes, National League. Who you got? Corbin Burns. Uh this is also going off a track record. Um he's second in the league in strikeouts behind Shane McClanahan. 0.922 whip, fifth in K per nine, third in innings pitched. Uh, with 68 innings pitched, and he's basically just doing what he did last year um, in his Cy Young campaign, and I have faith that he will continue. Uh, I like Corbin Burns. You know, he was my preseason pick, and uh, there is every chance in the world that he could be this year's Cy Young, but I think Joe Musgrove has proven to be the better. I mean, he's established 
the last couple of years, and he's proven to be, in my mind, a better pitcher this year overall. Um, and so both of them are, again, established pitchers. And if they continue what they're doing, I believe Joe Musgrove will end the season with a better season. They're both on successful teams. Joe Musgrove has not lost yet this season. He's 6-0. and He's got a 1.64 ERA, which I believe is third and probably third in Major League Baseball. I'm going off the top of my head here, and probably the I think the best in the NL. Um, he's got a better WHIP than Corbin Burns does, and he's only allowed four home runs this year. And he's he's also pitched 66 innings, which is is pretty good. It means he's getting his innings in. So um, he's had a great season. Corbin Burns has too, but I just think if again things sustain the way they are. And they trend the way they are with both these pitchers. I think Joe Musgrove is the choice for me. I like Joe Musgrove as well. Um, I think last week we were talking about Pirates and their terrible front office. I believe Joe Musgrove was another one of these Pirates pitchers that got traded away. Good Lord. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> that team should be winning 100 games every year with all the players they should have. You know, speaking of, uh... again... Clay Holmes and Jameson Tyone, like the Pirates have to look across and see both of them and think, what did we do? I mean, they gave us Clay Holmes for nothing halfway through the year last year for nothing. And now he's the best reliever in baseball. Yeah. Okay. So Joe Musgrove was not drafted by the Padres originally, or I'm sorry, by the Pirates originally, but he did play for the Pirates from 2018 to 2020. Um, and so he was part of that um, Garrett Cole trade oh, with the Astros. Wait, wait. So wait. So the Astros had him. Is that what you're saying? So the Astros drafted him. And they traded him to Pittsburgh. No, the Blue Jays drafted him. Oh, what the hell? And then, um, and then he got traded to the Astros eventually, and then the Astros to the. Pirates and the Pirates to the Padres, um, and he was part of the trade that had not really a lot of headliners: David Bednar, Omar Cruz, for Andy Rodriguez and Joey Lucchese. I have no idea. Anyway. Joe Joe Musgrove has spent the last five years being a pawn. <laughs> exactly. All right. Um, okay. So and MVP. then MVP. AL, I usually don't go to, I think a terrible way to choose MVP is to go to the home run leaders in each league. So I promise I did not do that. But this just happens to be the player that leads the league in home runs. That's Aaron Judge with a 316 batting average, 1075 OPS, 21 home runs in less than 200 at bats. For reference, uh, if you are a consistent everyday player that stays healthy, you should have more than 600 at-bats. So you could argue he's only a third of the way through the amount of home runs Correct. that he could hit. He's on pace for 63. Uh, yeah, pretty crazy. 25% uh, strikeout rate is a little bit lower than some of his past years, so he's definitely worked on that, gotten better. I see you highlighted that, Bobby. You want me to make sure point out that he's getting better and not striking out quite as much um but yeah aaron judge has been you want me to repeat that he has a 316 batting average? No, i'm just it's just like it's like a fidget spinner you know what i mean like i just I, <laughs> I don't know what to do with my hands bobby's like on our google doc highlighting 
different stats for Aaron Judge. This is how I direct you. It's like the teleprompter. (laughs) Yeah. I actually don't have any free will on this podcast. Bobby's just telling me what to say. (laughs) Everybody knows Um, that. But anyway, Aaron Judge has been really good, and it's hard for me to choose somebody other than him at this point in the season. There's Yeah, I mean, there is no other choice. And of course, I'm biased in that, but he's having just a tremendous season so far. And obviously, as a Yankees fan, I hope he just continues and he does hit 60 plus home runs and he gets paid whatever $400 million this offseason. Like we got to pay him whatever he wants, but um, he's an obvious choice. He's the easy choice. He's been the biggest performer for us. And I think for anybody on any team this year, and he's been so clutch for us too. I mean, yes, he's leading league in home runs and statistically he's been great, but he's had so many big hits and big moments as well. And ultimately, you know, when you talk about most valuable player, of course, statistics are part of it, but it really is like who's the most valuable person on your team or in baseball? It's been Aaron Judge. So obviously, yeah, I-, I agree with you only way that this could make me look really foolish is if he gets injured which is don't a fucking distinct that, possibility John. do not say that don't put that out in the universe sorry i just want to i just want to cover my ass if something happens in september and it looks like a terrible pick john if anyway. if something happens god forbid and i have i've referenced this moment in time like we're going to have some problems that's all i'm saying Okay. We're going to be running away from you. Um, yeah, we're not going to come back from then, that hike in a week and a half. You know what I mean? One person's going to come back, and it's just going to be me. You get what I'm saying? I, I get what you're throwing down. In the National League, Manny Machado is my pick for MVP, even though I, I'm not a huge Machado fan, and I think there were a couple others that I was trying to choose between, but... I think, like you were saying earlier, he's kind of a one-man show for the Padres. I was really impressed with like his runs and RBIs, uh, 38 runs, 32 RBIs. He gives you some steals, seven steals. Um, so, you know, he's on pace for probably like a 20-steal season, which is pretty hard to find in today's league. Uh, he has a 938, or sorry, a 983 OPS um, and a 342 batting average. And I Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's been pretty consistent the whole season. Like this hasn't been a Julio Rodriguez in fact, uh, situation. In fact, you could say that he's been um, slumping a little bit. Not that he is, but he for a long period of time he was sitting like 370 um, through the end of April and early May. But he still obviously is holding those statistics. And like I said earlier, he's carrying that team. I mean, they have good pitching this year, which good pitching is always going to make your team successful. But there's really nobody else on offense. You know, Eric Hosmer had a huge hot start, but he's already below 300, even though he was hitting like 380 for like three weeks. So he's just plummeted, and Machado has not. And he's just kept it. He's kept it even, and he's had big hits for them. So I think, you know, the the NL, like Bryce Harper, again, is having a pretty damn good season. But Manny Machado, I agree, is uh, probably MVP right now. And, if he, and he's been consistent, like you said. He started off strong. And he's strong two months later, so you'd have to think I that, don't think, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I don't think Bryce Harper is even the second or third candidate on that list. I had two other names before Bryce Harper. Who's your other two can names? You guess, can you guess who they were? No, off the top. I mean, Austin Riley's having a pretty incredible year again, too. 
you're missing out. I'm not you. Mookie. <laughs> well, I'm missing out. Mo- you said Mookie bets. Okay, Mookie, Mookie bets. bets. 100%. In fact, now that you mentioned it, if Mookie bets continues what he's been doing for the month of May because he's just been absolutely a man on fire the last three and four weeks. He's going to surpass Manny Machado, but I think at this point... Easily. I think at this point, you got to pick Machado, but if Mookie Betts continues rolling like he is, it's going to be a landslide. So that's a good point. I'm going to give you that. I also, I also believe in Mookie Betts more than Machado to complete the season on a strong note, you know? I mean, I, um, I guess... I mean, obviously, Machado hasn't been the best player in baseball since he's gone to San Diego. But, you know, when he's with the Orioles and what, like he had, he was consistently good all the way through the years. I I mean, I wouldn't discredit him for that. The other player that you need to mention is somebody we've already brought up on this podcast, whose name is unfortunately not Nolan, uh, Paul Goldschmidt. His May was absolutely insane. And he's kind of launched himself into the MVP. He's so, the Cardinals have two of the most underrated players in baseball on the same team with Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, who've consistently and been... And yet they're not winning that division. And they've been consistently one of the best players at their position for the last six years. But yes, they're not winning their division, but it's it's hard to beat that Brewers pitching staff. Very rarely do you find a first baseman who can basically do everything um, I mean, not even Miguel Cabrera could steal bases. Um, Paul Goldschmidt, er, especially earlier in his career, was a stolen base. Um, I'm not, I won't say whiz, but like he consistently would steal yeah. you know, 15 to 20. 2016, he had 32 stolen bases. That's, and he's a big that's guy, too. That's insane for a first baseman. That's and, what I'm saying. That's why I, I mean, love Goldie. I will say, okay, collectively in the last one, two, three, four, five seasons, he stole uh, 26 bases collectively over the last five seasons. So that part of his game seems to have absolutely vanished. Yeah, I mean, age. He got old. Oh, he's batting 342 this year, 1037. Yeah, he's a... And you said Austin Riley. Austin Riley is having an MVP type year too. Me saying a player is good does not take away from another player being good. Maybe this just shows that the NL is deep in MVP candidates, but shallow in uh, rookie of the year. Can we agree on that? That's, I mean, that's like the easiest thing to agree on in the world. You're like, can we agree that fire is hot and water is wet? Yes, I do. I'm glad we both agree on our MVP. I think, but I have a feeling that when we do this again, our NL MVP will definitely be a different person. I think in Don't two. Think I think in two months it it could be. Yeah, I think we'll be having a different conversation all across the board. Except, okay, realistically, if you had a, out of all the picks that we made, okay, if you had to bet on one of these picks, actually. Coming to fruition, who would it be? Um, it would be Julio Rodriguez. Interesting, because I think that there's a very good chance it could be Jeremy Pena. I think it'll be a flip of the coin. Interesting. I mean, you know what I'm going to go with. If I had to pick anybody 
gun to my head and one of these picks that I think is actually going to happen, it's going to be Aaron Judge winning MVP. Okay. I'm not allowed to say anything more if I want to come back alive, so That's I'm right. going to keep my mouth shut. You're a smart man, John. Uh, is that what you went to school for? They're really teaching you good things. No, no, this, oh, we're going to give this credit to my wife, Christy. She's really taught me not to dig holes. You got a great support system lot. around you, John. That's how you're gonna survive. Did that a lot early in our early in our relationship. I dug some holes, and you know, I'm I'm staying above the surface, staying above the ground. You survived this long, and so now you're you're a veteran. You're scrappy. I just want to say well, the reason I have more faith in Julio than Jeremy is also I feel like there's just this narrative thing in the MLB of like Julio is a story that they are definitely pushing on people. No, I agree with that. I And I think that and does I play think a factor. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes the media attention, maybe unfairly, can change the perspective of journalists. And, yeah. And I'm going to give an example that is clearly a biased example. But in 2018, Miguel Andujar was the clear rookie of the year that year, but he got beat out by Shohei because Shohei was the new crazy thing in baseball. And even though Miguel Andujar had way better stats and a better performance than Shohei, because Shohei was a two-way player, they just gave him Rook of the Year. And he was a bigger story. And you're right, it does play a factor in voting, for sure. It's crazy that this is Shohei's fifth season. That makes me feel old. Yeah, I am actually feels like he surprised. I agree. It feels like he's only been in the league for like three years, but yeah, it's. I guess you know, twenty twenty. I, to be honest, didn't pay much attention that year. So, the COVID shortened season. So it's kind of like I've lost a year of baseball. We all did, John. We all did. <laughs> I know you were painstakingly watching every game that year in empty stadiums. It was weird watching the playoffs. In empty stadiums. I mean, I know Texas had like, like a you know half full or whatever by the time they hit the World Series. But yeah, strange year. It was a really strange year. Hopefully, we don't have to live through that again. Yeah, cross your fingers, man. On that note, make sure you stay safe, everyone. It's kind of ominous, John. Wow. Um. Thanks for putting that up too. Man, what what are you doing right now? What? You're just putting With all this, this bad juju bad, out in the universe for everybody, for me, yeah. for the people. I all I said was stay safe. I don't is that is that controversial? Don't I, get I hit like by a car. A, I feel like thank you. Thank you for obviously saying that. Please, people don't get hit by a car. Did right. Chrissy teach this you that too? On. This is going off the rails. All right. Anything and, else you would like to tell our I listeners? I don't think so, other than um, try not to listen to John. Um, <laughs> you should have said stay safe. That would have been perfect. I wanted to say it, but I felt like it was too obvious. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, it was too easy. Maybe I should have said it. Maybe I missed my, I missed my mark. Anyway, um, everybody stay safe and have a great week. And uh, you know where to find us on Instagram and Twitter at Yankee6 and at Third Theory. We'll be back again next Monday. Talk to you later, folks.